All right, everyone. What is up? Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. I am your host, Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to another epic episode of Untold Stories, where together you and I get to dive deep with some of crypto's most influential leaders to truly understand how this movement came to be and where we are right now and where we're going to be going in the future. We use historical references of our budding industry going back from the early Bitcoin days to try to understand through stories and through talking to our guests, what exactly is going on right now. And, you know, shit, like it's, it's been, it's been crazy, right, Simon? It's just been, it's been a crazy past, I would say like six weeks in, in the crypto world. How are you kind of feeling right now? Um, I'm feeling completely slammed right now. Um, but you know, this is, this is what we sign up for in this industry. Um, and I'm, ultra excited to speak to somebody um, because I've been speaking with so many people that are kind of just joining the disaster for the first time um, and to actually be able to sit down with someone that's been through so many of them um, and has some context and experience I think is going to be really useful for so many people. Yeah, it's so true. I don't even know where where we're going to start. There's so many different ways. I want to go back to like, I think the first, the first times that, uh, our industry had these kind of implosions or things that happened that were the 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 uh, uh, elephant in the room or the gorilla in the room or I don't know what we kind of call them going back from Mt. Gox to Bitfinex to now Celsius what these moments are kind of called black swan events a lot of people are saying but just to give a little bit of background you guys actually your 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 company and and the investors that are involved are huge investor in Celsius you guys uh, uh, kind of helped lead one of their rounds, I think, in the past. But Simon Dixon, you're the CEO and co-founder of Bank to the Future. That's BNK to the future.com. You guys have invested over $60 million in crypto and fintech companies. You're the fund manager of Bitcoin Capital, author of the book, Bank to the Future. We've had you as a guest on our show before. So welcome back. I really appreciate it. You guys have invested in, in companies such as like BitPay, Kraken, Bitstamp, so many of these 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 companies over the years, uh, using your your regulated uh, crowdfunding platform, community token, you've been involved with other projects, other companies that were that were holding tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars that is that have been down this road before. Uh, you've kind of been on top of of that, you know, and getting them through that and seeing how they came out on the other time. Sometimes successfully, but sometimes not successfully. And just to kind of give everyone context, you know, Mount Gox that blew up in 2014, their people are just getting their payments of some of their, you know, pennies on the dollar after eight years. But then you had another project like Bitfinex that was in a similar situation after a hack that issued a token that represented future cash flow. And if you held that token, still hold a token today, you have been made whole and have tripled or quadrupled your money at this point. So there's a lot to unpack there. There's debt token, tokenizing debt. There's the moral implications of it. There's do you go the bankruptcy route? How much information do you give? What exactly is going on? Simon, can we start? Can you can we start six weeks ago or so, the day that Luna and Terra broke up? And, and there was billions of dollars that were liquidated. Kind of like start that day. What happened there? And how did it start this huge unwinding and deleveraging that's worth almost a trillion dollars now 
of 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 unwinding in our industry. What what happened? Yeah, I'll go into that. Just a quick correction. Um, like, yeah, the Bank of the Future has now invested um, 1.7 billion into funding rounds mm. listed in our platform. Um, 60 million must be some old LinkedIn profile that I haven't looked at for several years, maybe. Um, 1.7 anyway, billion. Yeah, let's get to the point. Um, so let's. Um, yeah. So what? God, there is so much to unpack there. I know, so, right? Um, where where are we right now? So the current situation is we are currently in our Lehman Brothers of crypto moment, um, and we are learning um, how intertwined our industry is, um, and what pristine collateral means, um, and then also the impact that it has on uh, on collateral. So let me define some of those terms. Okay. Um, an, an industry emerged whereby a simple concept, which is a good idea that we bought, that was borrowed from traditional finance, which is that um, so a lot of people have Bitcoin and they don't want to sell their Bitcoin, um, but they do need to pull out some dollars to um, you know, buy things and, and meet those expenses. And you either create a taxable event and sell Bitcoin before you want to, or you could use it um, as a collateral, just like when you borrow you know, against uh, real estate through the mortgage markets. Um, on the flip side of that, uh, there are people that uh, are, are willing to borrow your Bitcoin and they're willing to pay some interest for it. Um, and normally those are hedge funds and traders that want to um, play the markets. Um, so if you can put those two to, together in a peer-to-peer -peer market, um, then people can receive some interest on their Bitcoin um, and others can um, you know, speculate with Bitcoin and others can decide to pull out some money. Um, so these platforms like Celsius uh, came along, um, you know, based upon that that principle. So we invested on that principle, um, and uh, Bank to the Future did a funding round. Um, but what inevitably happens with all of these concepts um, is that we go through these different growth cycles, um, and it turns out that there are a lot of people that did want to receive some some yield on their Bitcoin. Um, and uh, there was a lot of innovation. And so this brings us to the Luna side. Um, you know, we had uh, a stable coin, um, a concept that was created, um, you know, really the first major one was uh, Tether, um, which was created by the same team behind Bitfinex. Um, and the thing that made Tether keep its peg, a, a stable coin, um, is that if, the, if it deviates from the price of $1, um, then you could redeem it for dollars in your bank account. Um, and therefore, if it decouples, it creates a trade where people can profit from that difference. Um, now, this was applied to you know, the smart contract model without a bank in the middle in order to attempt to create a decentralized model. What we've learned is that decentralized is a very you know, um, complicated tag that people put upon technology um, that when it crashes, you find out how decentralized they actually are. Um, so when Bitcoin crashes, nothing really changes. Um, Bitcoin still functions the same way uh, as it was originally designed when it's going up or down. Um, but a lot of these uh, tokens and, and things that are created, uh, they tend to have been created by a, a central banker, you could call it, um, which is the person that created the code and, and whatever models put together. Um, so they took this stablecoin concept and said, um, what if we could collateralize it rather than you being able to pull out the dollars? What if we could collateralize it by a token? Um, 
And then what if we could do something that's a little bit less volatile and, you know, tokens go up like crazy during bull markets when everyone's speculating, but they crash a lot harder and become very illiquid very quickly uh, when things aren't going so well. So they tried to hedge and say, well, let's buy billions of dollars of Bitcoin to back this thing. The problem with that is that whereas a stable coin is dollars and uh, when it deviates, you have one uh, you know, you have no currency risk. You just have a token deviating from dollars. When you back it by other stuff and things go wrong and prop markets crash, um, you you have uh, very little ability to maintain that peg because you can't pull yeah. out the dollars. Um, and so the algorithmic stablecoin, the first one that was tested uh, was Luna. Um, and Luna was backed by a bunch of Bitcoin and uh, a hugely volatile token. And we found out whether that when it starts depegging, it's essentially a central banker implementing, um, you know, monetary policy committees to figure out through a bunch of um, those that own all the stakes of the token and figuring out how they're going to get themselves out of their um, run on the stablecoin bank. Um, so that was really that one. Um, that imploded, got down to zero. Um, everyone was betting on how they their policy is. Uh, but then there was a bunch of other companies that took this Bitcoin lending market and started moving further down the risk curve. So, you know, there's one thing doing that with Bitcoin. There's another thing doing that with a dollar-backed stablecoin. But then they started doing it with all these highly speculative tokens. And then you've got Ethereum, which is switching and changing from proof of work to proof of stake. Now, while there's liquidity there, you don't know the future. So it's a bit more risky. Then you've got algorithmic stable coins, which are a lot more risky. Um, and then you've got these incredibly illiquid tokens. Um, yeah. And as you start moving down the risk and risk and risk, um, a platform like Celsius suddenly realizes uh, they've got themselves in a position where everybody's relying on them to manage the risk. And everyone that thought they were investing in a, a low risk saving account suddenly is invested in a high risk, a high risk, unregulated, unlicensed hedge fund that loses some money. And once they lose some money, there's suddenly a, a, you know, in a Mt. Gox situation where they don't have the money in order to meet um, the obligations. Um, and we start looking at the same stories that we've seen time and time again, but a slightly different flavor. Um, so that's what's happening in, 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 in yep. Luna, um, and these situations. This is a story as old as time in, in, in our industry. At the end of the day, it's these centralized exchanges. Uh, and nowadays it's centralized finance, but it's you know one and the same because you can do exchanges inside of them anyways. But it's these centralized exchanges doing some weird stuff with the money and not being able to get meet the obligations. I have money stuck in Voyager, so I'm in the same situation there. They've already declared bankruptcy, which I read was similar to one of your plans that you would like Celsius to kind of do. So what you've taken this like hugely like uh, not advocate, but you've taken this uh, uh, um, leader approach almost to, for the community who uh, and helping lead uh, and gather together all the different Celsians that are out there. And you're talking about hundreds of thousands of millions of people, right? To different plans and to, to rally together, because as you know, from early Bitcoin days, vires in numeris in Latin is strength in numbers. What's happening over there? Uh, yeah, so um, I, I found myself in this uh, very strange situation where um, 
you know, at Bank to the Future, we're the longest standing company in Bitcoin um, and we're the world's first crypto securities business. So uh, we, we've seen every cycle and we survived every cycle and um, we understand the regulatory environment um, and we understand um, how to structure a, a, a product from my, in my background in investment banking um, to applying that to seeing all of the innovation and all of the cycle that we've seen time and time again. So I, I found myself in a situation where I, I could see from experience, um, you know, that uh, when you have um, somebody, you know, Charlie, you've, you've had direct experience of this, um, you're involved in innovation, um, you're, you're trailblazing, you're pushing the barriers, you're creating a company um, that no one else has ever done anything before. Um, and, you know, you, you, you come with all this passion, but then you find yourself in a multi, you know, back then it was multi-million dollars, but now it's multi-billion dollars um, financial institution that is bigger than some small banks, um, completely, over, you know, in it over your head, um, trying to recruit as fast as possible um, yeah. and understand in a, in a, in a regulatory um, challenging and unclear environment. Um, and essentially, the, the CEO of Celsius found himself in that position. Um, you know, in, in order to understand how to deal with these situations, you know, there's a few lessons. Um, you need to understand pristine collateral and you need to have been through the experience that we've been through in different scenarios. You need leadership that really understands how to communicate financial products that if you communicate them in the wrong way can lead to disastrous consequences like we've seen in Celsius where people started to think that this is a low-risk savings account, took all of their money out of the bank and put their life savings, took their retirement plans into this and were 100% exposed to one counterparty without understanding the risk because of the miscommunication um, of, you know, uh, of, of somebody. Um, and, you know, it's one thing me and you losing, you know, um, losing money in one of these platforms, um, having been through this and, and understanding, okay, uh, probably should have known better. Um, shouldn't oh have done that. Yeah. Um, and oh my God, we're talking about, I mean, the list is Celsius, Three Arrows Capital, BlockFi, Genesis, Nexo, BitMEX, Finblocks, Babel Finance, Maple Finance, Voyager, CoinFlex, and there's probably more that I'm missing there. So this, these are like pillars of the industry at some point and how they've all dealt with it really will show how those companies will come out on the other side. Like you yeah. said, the leadership of the, of the executive team, how they choose to communicate with people, caring for their customers and not themselves. Look, you and I know that the leadership right now in these companies that I just named, if I was them, I'd be sweating too. I've been there. It's scary. You're worried about, am I going to go to jail? You have obligations that you can't meet for hundreds of millions of dollars. You can't sleep. Think what position they're in. Even whatever mistakes they made right now, they're not living happy lives. They're freaking out. They're, most of them are missing. Like these guys from Three Arrows Capital, no one can find them half the time. They're whatever. I don't need to go there. but. The differences to those who are listening, the differences, look at Bitfinex, still top three volume exchange in the world. It's been around almost 10 years. They went through a similar situation like this, but what did they do, Simon, that was so different? It was like six or seven years ago, right? Yeah. So, you know, start with the, the Mt. Gox disaster. Um, 
the thing that worked with that is that there was lobbying pressure from the community. So when when it was insolvent, um, they didn't have the. I mean, it started as insolvent. Mark Capellas bought it from um, Jeff McCaleb uh, with eighty thousand bitcoins missing, and then they lost more. And you know, um, it realised that it's insolvent. Um, it went over to liquidators. You know, they took over. And the thing that worked and the thing that got lucky is it moved into bankruptcy, which means that it couldn't meet any of its obligations, but it kept it in Bitcoin. Um, and then Bitcoin became the highest performing asset class in history. Um, and that, uh, you know, had hard forks that paid for a bunch of things. And it took eight years and it was a forced hodl, as it were. Uh, and that's what rescued it. But it took eight years and um, people would start suing the company, which would delay depositors getting their money back. And it was just a, it was just a really horrible experience. Um, now, Bitfinex, almost um, armed with the experience of what happened with Mt. Gox, um, recognized that um, they, they needed to do something slightly different. Um, and in 2016, they lost, they had 119,000 Bitcoins hacked from their exchange. Um, that was at the time worth $72 million. Now, that seems like a small number, but you know, that, that was a big, 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 big number in 20. Yeah. And these guys are running the exchanges out of their like, you know, houses and stuff with their babies or in their parents' basement. These are not, you know, financial companies of today. Yeah. Um, so that was a, a really big number. Um, but what they did differently um, is they decisively immediately um, fessed up and made an announcement and said 119,000 Bitcoins is missing. Now, that was a bit easier then because it was just Bitcoin and dollars. And it's a, it's, a, it's a lot easier to figure out what's going on rather than the kind of complexities of the crypto markets and um, all sorts of things that are going on. Um, but Bitfinex actually created this peer-to-peer -peer lending market. So they had margin positions. They had some of the complexities. And oh, yeah. Bitfinex was the first platform where you could um, you know, lend your Bitcoin on an order book. Um, and it was matched up. Now, the difference was is that these are very sophisticated traders and investors because the user interface is, um, you know, designed a, a more experienced trader. Um, Celsius today is is like, you know, a, a, an online banking looking app with a, a very, you know, um, that was marketed in a different way, not the sophisticated user. Yeah. Um, so uh, they lost 119,000 Bitcoin. Um, the leadership says, we've lost it. We're suspending withdrawals. Um, we'll be back to you shortly. And they communicated every single day saying, here's what's happened. Here's the situation. Here's how we're unwinding the margin. Um, and uh, they, they said, look, we're going to, here's the price of Bitcoin at the time. We're going to have to haircut everybody. So they just took out 30% or approximately of everybody's deposit. Um, everyone said, you're a scam. Give me my money. They went crazy. They went nuts mm -hmm. with them. But they weathered the storm um, and they said, right, well, we're going to reopen our exchange. Um, and when we reopen, you're going to find yourself with, um, you know, if you had $100 on our platform, you're going to find $30 of uh, this token. And this token represents a debt. Um, and so if you hold that token, if we recover, then we promise to pay you back a dollar for every token you have. Um, if you don't believe we have a future, we'll create a market. You can dump the token. And someone else that may believe Bitfinex as a future could buy it. Um, and so immediately the token crashed to about 30 cents. Um, the people that wanted to say Bitfinex is a scam, I'm out, I want my money back, I'm, you know, I'm out of here. And someone else said along and said, well, I think Bitfinex might recover. 
I'll buy it for 30 cents for something that might be repaid for a dollar in the future. And essentially, it created a prediction market for the market's belief about whether Bitfinex would recover. Uh, then what they did is they um, said, well, let's, uh, we've got to try and take out some of this debt because it's an unmanageable debt, $72 million. Um, let's allow people to um, exchange it uh, for equity in our company. So they, we put a pitch on banks for the future um, and we valued the company based upon its current situation um, and allowed people to buy a token. If they had the token already, they could exchange it for a dollar's worth of equity. And if they wanted to get in cheaper, they could buy these tokens at 30 cents and then buy and have a dollar's worth of equity. Um, and so um, as Bitfinex started to recover, um, you know, a little exchange called Binance launched um, and they needed Tether in order to prevent them having to get banking licenses. Um, and so this started to create a bit of a bull market and a bit of a trend. The ICO, the next um, trend came along. Um, and, uh, you know, the markets really recovered from this because Bitfinex opened. Um, this created more and more trading fees. So they started to pay down some of their debt. As they started to pay down some of their debt, more people started to convert to equity. And by the end of it, um, after a few uh, weeks, $55 million of the $72 million was converted to shares in the company. Their most loyal and best customers had, you know, the ones that hated them disappeared and dumped the token. The ones that thought they had a future bought the token, um, and they were the shareholders in Bitfinex that drove loyalty into their recovery um, and started to make sure that they're supporting the company in their growth because they're now vested wow. interest in its growth. Um, and uh, it was an incredible recovery. Now, the, the, the rest of the story is, is you know, is pretty incredible. Um, we put the, the, the equity on the Bank to the Future secondary market, and it traded at a peak of $16. So $0.30 cents to $16 um, was the, the share price um, range. Um, it also uh, took 2017, 2018, and the whole bull market profits and paid it all out as dividends to its shareholders, which was many times returns um, in the bull market. And it also gave them a right to um, some of the recovered funds, if the hack funds were ever recovered. And as we all know, can't remember whether it was this year or last year, those funds were recovered. Um, and that turned out to be you know, $4 billion worth of Bitcoin um, that was distributed. The story doesn't end there. Um, disaster recovery, it was a great story. Um, and then all of a sudden, another company, um, Tether, um, found itself in the next disaster. And that was that uh, because it grew so fast and Binance essentially outsourced its banking to Tether in order to become the largest cryptocurrency exchange in the world, um, the banks were suddenly managing billions for this exchange, getting attention, and no bank would support um, Tether. So it ended up in a, the uncomfortable position uh, where it had to go to you know, a payment service provider to meet um, withdrawal demands in a very fast-growing industry. Charlie, you know you created a business just to solve the problem of how to yeah. get um, bank funds into an exchange. Takes time. Big ass problem. <laughs> um, and suddenly, um, this shadow bank turned out to be um, money laundering, using the money in all sorts of um, illicit ways. And the government's just seized $850 million, which meant that Tether was no longer backed one-to-one uh, one -one by cash or cash equivalents. And it was replaced with a loan. 
Um, and, uh, you know, and all of the tether fund started from this moment. Um, but they went out and they raised a billion dollars in two weeks that plugged the gap using um, a, a token that still trades today, Leo, that gave people rights to recover funds and all sorts of stuff. Um, and so they did a double punch um, and oh, decisively man. acted. You know, Bitfinex is like the cat that has nine lives that just keeps coming back. Um, and they divisively. Now, what's really interesting, moving all that forward, is uh, Bank to the Future supported that. Now, go to the Celsius situation. The two lead investors in Celsius was Bank to the Future and Tether. Um, so uh, we put together an effective recovery plan and we started to um, implement, try to implement and try and support them because we knew what went wrong with Mt. Gox. We knew and had the experience of what went wrong um, with Bitfinex uh, or what went right with Bitfinex. Um, and uh, we, we tried to Im influence um, that. And that's why we find, I found ourselves in this position uh, where I was frantically um, telling Alex, this is how to recover. Um, and I, I found myself in a situation where he sent me off to Citibank. And I was like, no, 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 Citibank is not going to work. Um, I know how Citibank works. They could decide that they want to support this. And then they've got to take it up to their executive board. And then their executive board said, why are you messing around with small deals like this? And then it comes back down and they say, you can't do anything um, because they don't want to take the risk. And you end up in months and months of um, problems and you did it not going to work. You've got to move fast. Uh, and then they stopped communicating. Um, and then that started to arise suspicion in myself and started to look back at certain actions. Um, uh, and then um, I realized that the way that this recovery plan was being structured um, unfortunately, was going to cost depositors a lot of money. I started to get messages from people that were, were, were heartbreakingly considering suicide because they couldn't oh my God. To their partner that they've lost the life savings of their partner and they felt like life wasn't worth living anymore. Um, I started getting messages after messages and this just really took me out. Um, I was actually at the time mourning the passing of my father and was taking a time out. Um, but all of these stories at the same time as me going through a bit of uh, a trauma phase in my personal life, because he was a, uh, we had a very deep connection, um, just led me to, I, I've got to come out, the, the industry needs something. Um, and um, I realized that I found myself in a very uncomfortable position. And that uncomfortable position was that the CEO of this company has done massive mispractice, misrepresented, um, running an unlicensed business, um, using misleading representations and all sorts of things which have terrible, terrible consequences. Um, but the only way for me to um, support depositors was to help them realize that actually right now there isn't um, the, only, the only way to get out of this situation is to take the person out that's, um, that's covering up a lot of what I believe to be fraudulent activity, um, and you are going to lose your deposits um, if this person isn't removed. And I, I had this, I'm a non-confrontational person. Sure. I've got friends sure. across the industry, um, but this person had to go for the future of their deposits. Um, and the reason that Voyager is communicating so effectively is because they had governance like a public company. They were traded on the Canadian Stock Exchange. Uh, this shop was not ran well at all. Um, there's a lot to hide. 
Um, and uh, I, I just started to get trolled by people that own the token and everyone started to uh, question my integrity. And um, But I knew I just had to plow forward, do as many podcasts as I could, educate people um, and uh, just support them in, in getting through this moment. And that's where we are now. So right now we're in a position where where FTX has bailed out BlockFi, Nexo has made a uh, an offer to Vald, Voyager has frozen themselves in in the bankruptcy process, and they're going down that route. You know, going to give everyone. They're actually Voyager's going out. They're, they've been communicating once or twice a week, and they're going like the Bitfinex route by going to give everyone back. You know, whatever crypto and dollars there's left, whatever I've seen speculations from fifty up to 80 cents on the dollar. And then whatever is left over is going to be a mixture of actual equity and tokens. And you'll be able to, they actually have already said that you'll be able to choose if you want more equity or more tokens, like a sliding, like a sliding scale. So those guys are taking, you know, they, they've been reading up on history, thankfully, like you said, and, and saw that. Um, but with, with Celsius, uh, I think I read, and uh, there's five weeks so far of just zero communication. Uh, but we've seen like huge financial transfers, like 70 to $80 million moving around of their wallets, paying off loans. Like there are things happening that we can see on like the dozen or so blockchains. And that's the beauty of blockchains. Uh, what What's going on there? Unfortunately, Celsius, um, I believe, has found themselves in a scenario where they're deciding which crime is the least bad crime to take. Do we, um, do we try and recover funds and illegally use client funds in a way that, I wasn't, that we're not meant to be using? Do we put together backhander agreements against the shareholders? Um, and um, do we hide certain transactions that it turned out that we represented that we would guarantee this money. And we said we had $2 billion balance sheet guaranteeing it, but it turned out that $2 billion balance sheet was tokens where you can only sell a million dollars a day or something that crashed the market 90%. Um, and they're, they're just in a situation where um, one leader is uh, trying to cover their ass, um, which is making the situation worse, rather than doing what Voyager did, which is where they just said, right, um, here's the hole, here's the situation, um, let's move into chapter 11, let's put some governance in, let's come up with a plan, let's have advisors that can support on that plan, um, and let's, let's do this properly. And Celsius had just taken the exact opposite approach. And the only reason, because I, 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 I give them everything that they, could, that they should be doing from experience, um, and uh, the only reason that I can think is because they're, they're hiding things um, from the people that can help them um, because there are, there are things that um, are going to lead to disastrous consequences for that one particular individual. And that's why the board kept changing, the lawyers kept changing, the advisors kept changing. Um, and, you know, I was even thrown under the bus. He invited me to join the board knowing that I would lose the license and I would lose a decade's worth of reputation that I'd build up um, and destroy my shareholder value if I accepted that offer. Um, and then at, and then at that point, I had to make um, a decision that this is a bad actor and I, have to, and I put together a campaign um, to support the depositors um, and move this into something that could be recoverable. 
Um, and the final part of that chapter, which is rolling out in real time, Charlie, is, um, you know, in February, uh, I, I was in El Salvador, um, you know, supporting uh, the government in constructing um, with Bitfinex as well um, and various other, you know, um, Max Kaiser as well, um, in constructing a Bitcoin volcano bond in order to restructure some of their debts away from the IMF. Um, using Bitcoin by the fact that they made Bitcoin legal tender and constructing, um, you know, Bitcoin-backed securities um, in order to let countries know that there are alternatives to the IMF and there are alternatives to the dollar. Um, and El Salvador became the country to do that. So uh, where this became really interesting is we were in the midst of applying for an investment banking license um, to support sovereign countries um, in being able to construct Bitcoin-backed products to, um, based upon making legal tender Bitcoin. Um, and so I, I, we decided that if you, the problem with a bail-in, the reason Bitfinex worked, it was a bail-in essentially. The reason it worked is because the company had a future. Um, now, the reason it won't work for Celsius is because in my belief, the, the brand is now destroyed. Um, the, the, the you think it's destroyed? Is, you don't think? They could salvage as a huge company assets made with leadership change. I mean, it's a good looking app too. Um, amazing technology. Um, but if they had followed the, the, the approach and did the communication, then I think the, the brand would survive. Um, but now we've got lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit and um, tarnishing, you know, uh, tokens that were illegal security presentations. Um, sorry, the 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 lawsuits are are, are absolutely disastrous uh, for this at the moment. Um, yeah, but like bankruptcy could freeze that. Like with Voyager, they had probably a six thousand lawsuits on day one. Yeah, um, so you've got the lawsuits, uh, but then in order to reopen, you need to get depending on their model. So you've got to remember they started as a peer to peer lending model. That's one level of licensing that they don't have. Then oh. it switched to a security. Because essentially you were at, you were investing in Alex Mazinski's ability to pick whether to invest in Luna or whether to invest in a stable coin. Um, and that's all being unwind right now. Um, and it became an unlicensed um, high-risk hedge fund um, with depositors that thought they were investing in a low-risk savings account and put their life savings on the line based upon a promise and a misrepresentation that this would be guaranteed were the words that were used. Um, then things got hacked, things get disappeared, and it turns out that there may be uncollateralized loans to huge hedge funds that are just blown up that you mentioned, which means that it is a potentially moving into an unlicensed fractional reserve bank. Um, and, uh, you know, the, you've got to get licensed. You know, we spent decades working on the regulatory framework. Oh, my God, yeah. Things. Um, I went to so, jail for not having those licenses. It, exactly. So... Um, you've got to get regulations right. You've got to get leadership right, communication and not misrepresenting when explaining financial services. Um, and you've got to have pristine collateral. And there is a shitstorm of tokens and collateral and all sorts of stuff um, behind that that was just really exposing it. So um, from my perspective, um, what I wanted to do is I said, look, the only way to recover this is to um, put together an effective roll-up. We've got licenses. Um, we've got. We've worked on securities. 
and we got the team that invented this market and the lending side uh, ready to step in. And we put together a syndicate of up to $6 billion willing to put in liquidity. Um, and we said, look, here's what FTX are doing. Um, FTX has, you know, history rep repeats itself. Um, FTX are the equivalent of JP Morgan. There was no Federal Reserve in 1907. Um, and they were providing liquidity loans to all the banks that were troubled and distressed um, and then just bought them up for pennies on the dollars. Yeah. Um, FTX did the same with BlockFi. Um, I said, well, if we're going to do that, why not allow everyone else in the community to participate in that? Um, so we're frantically going around saying, let's build this uh, Bitcoin investment bank. We've been working on it. Um, let's bail in. Let's make all the distressed um, lenders um, equity holders in this, in this, um, in this company. Um, and uh, so we put together the best team money could buy uh, in order to try and put that together. Uh, so that we could try and salvage something incredible from this disastrous situation um, based upon everything that's uh, that's currently happening. So uh, that's what we're frantically putting together. Uh, and if we can pull it off, just like Bitfinex pulled it off, um, I think we can look back at the history books and say, this is something to be covered in economics textbooks. And this is free market solutions. Bitcoin will survive this. Um, but free market solutions, lessons, um, wind it back to the simple. Um, and uh, I really believe that there is a way that the, the an industry, you know, this is high risk. Um, this could go completely wrong, but we will represent it in the correct way. And if we pull it off as a community, as an industry, there's literally sovereign countries all around the world that are looking to make Bitcoin legal tender and build Bitcoin collateralized, um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, bonds at the moment in an, in an environment where the fiat system is imploding. There's hyperinflation. Um, they're issuing central bank digital currencies. And then you've got this interesting time. Sorry, I'm covering a lot on here. No, no, um, no. You've got, you've got countries that are issuing central bank digital currencies, which I see as communism on a blockchain and a slow removal of freedom. You've got countries that are looking to increase freedom by having Bitcoin financial services. Bitcoin is legal tender and Bitcoin positions on their, um, you know, their treasury balance sheet like El Salvador. Um, and then you've got com country companies like FTX going along and saying, why don't you launch a token and shitcoinery and make the same mistakes that blew up all this stuff without having pristine collateral? So essentially, we are in crypto wars at the current at the country level, um, and everyone's going to learn this at the country level next. Um, so it's really an interesting time. And I want to make sure that people learn the lessons from this um, and the community is invested in a company where we can all get together and show that there are free market solutions. Um, and at the end of all this geopolitical warfare and craziness, um, Bitcoin will end up um, providing an exit from the traditional financial system, not just for individuals, not just for companies, but also for countries. A lot of countries have been using COVID as a, <clears throat> as a mechanism to push forward their like Social identity slash central bank digital currency, because what they want to do is like, if you think about it, cash as we have it now is somewhat of a bare asset because you hold that in your hand. No one really like it's not written down anywhere that you have that cash in your hand. Whereas if it's in your bank account or even if you're holding a central bank digital currency, it's written down somewhere in real time your current balance and all your transactions and it can be frozen. We saw those, uh, we saw those, um, 
uh, in China, if uh, this week we saw those all those protests at banks because what the Chinese government is doing over there is they're using people's like COVID identity numbers to lock them out of being able to go into supermarkets, withdraw money, go to gatherings and things like that because you need your COVID number in order to like do anything now and even withdraw money. There's just, you know, com- countries like Sri Lanka can't pay for fuel. Fuel's going up, hyperinflation money, you, you know, the euro, the euro, I never saw, I never thought that I see in my lifetime the euro at parity with the dollar. It's a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world today. Do you have any advice? Any yeah, any me, thoughts of where me, to invest? Yeah, let me um let me unpack that a little bit and, and let's relate it to our story. And you know, there's rhymes. All of these stories have rhymes, cycles repeat themselves. We're 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 in, you know, this exit from traditional finances is really going through the same life cycles that, that fiat currency went through. Um oh because you know, fiat currency was originally an innovation on top of gold, and it was just you couldn't take gold from one central bank to the other. It was hard to audit. It was hard to transport. And so you created a receipt for gold, which was paper money. Um, and then banks started creating more money um, than existed. Um, and essentially, that's how you can think about all these tokens that were created. Um, and, you know, history just repeats itself. So let's look at China. Um, China is a model of, um, you know, the China Communist Party in charge, but state level capitalism. Um, and so uh, state-level capitalism um, created and took a billion people out of poverty and created this interconnected relationship between China and America, where China was lending money by buying treasuries, um, and they were using that in order to buy goods from China. Um, and they find themselves um, through previous wars, um, you know, where they're in geopolitical tensions because of Taiwan. Um, alliances were formed with Russia. Um, uh, you know, uh, America decides that they'll move to the next phase of the dollar, which is where they show that they're willing to just send, take it from a central bank if you don't agree to their policy. Um, at the end of a debt cycle um, is 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 very challenging situation. So if you look in China, um, you know, they've just essentially said money in a bank isn't yours. Now, they also have their own set central bank digital currency. So let's look at these two models, bail-in versus bail-out. Okay. Bail-in is essentially using the equity in order to get stakeholders and distribute across the community of people that were those affected. Bail-in, uh, sorry, bail-out, sorry. I, I, did I say bail-in? Um, bail-in, uh, yeah. I was talking about. Bail-out um, is where a government comes along and essentially prints some central bank digital currency, which is inflationary, So, um, and taxpayers end up paying for it. And then everyone comes along and says, can you print more money because I'm in a disaster? Um, wealth inequality is bad. And you have this cycle of printing more money to solve problems that were caused by printing money in the first place. And you have a, a cost of living crisis, wealth inequality, social unrest because the rich are getting richer, the poor are getting poorer, um, and uh, these large economic trends. Now, the bailout, this is where it gets really interesting because everything's reached the end of the debt cycle. Um, what do you do when you can no longer, um, you know, uh, you can no longer tax, you can no longer print more money? Uh, that's ineffective. Well, central bank digital currency is is actually it's not an attack on Bitcoin. Most people think it is. It's an attack on banking, and banks create money every time they issue a loan. So if a bank gets distressed, you can replace that with a central bank digital currency, which is a movement towards the central bank owning the retail bank, which is a movement away from free markets 
towards a, a more communist way of uh, uh, doing things. Yeah. In America, the same thing is happening. When they launch FedCoin, FedCoin is simply a way of preparing for, for financial crisis because you're not going to do a bailout on taxpayer money in the future. And this is a slow transition to the central bank owning all of the banks and a removal from free market um, debt-based money creation into um, this new currency. Now, when you lose your bank balance, you're going to opt in for whatever they say on the app. I've lost my $10,000. You're going to give me $10,000 in the central bank digital currency. Uh, I'll take that. I didn't realize I was opting out of my freedoms and that when I tapped my passport and I didn't take a vaccine, um, it was affecting my social credit and my bank balance got taken out and automatically it moved into algorithmic monetary policy and I started getting negative interest rates in order to try and encourage me yeah. to spend that money. And if I spent it in the wrong direction, um, suddenly you're telling me that uh, I'm, uh, it's confiscated and it's this blacklist. We're moving to dark, dark times in these central bank digital currencies. And the drug to get people in is replacing banks with central bank digital currencies. Oh, man, you don't even like uh, you. I, I didn't even know like the the idea of central banking interfacing with the retail public was so rejected in the, in in the founding of america that thomas jefferson went so far as to try to at, like say that it was the only thing missing from the us constitution like no central banking i don't know how the federal reserve even got through and exists how it remains like a quasi private corporation bullshit because we all know it's not but you're right the central bank digital currency really yeah. reintroduces the idea of like a national or central bank which is a terrible terrible idea what i mean why why do you think these guys were so against it um so just look back again cycles um look back at monetary history um, so you had, and this brings it all full circle to what's happening in our Lima Brothers of crypto market. Um, you had JP Morgan that was doing what um, FTX are doing right now. Um, and they were, um, because it had all the liquidity from its position, um, it was uh, bailing out distressed banks by lending them credit and then purchasing all the equity for pennies on the dollars, which then owned the banking system. Um, and so then JP Morgan went around designing um, on the, and you know, this isn't conspiracy theories. These are, yeah, this these is history. Facts. Yeah. Uh, JP Morgan <laughs> was at the meeting in Jekyll Island where the Federal Reserve was designed. Um, and then in 1913, the Federal Reserve Act was um, implemented. Then we entered, so that was, you know, monetary renegotiation. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, the first one was really in 1910 that was designed. Um, and that put the, you know, the, the system of removing the gold standard and replacing it with um, fiat currency was designed there. Then you moved into the next one. Well, what happened in World War One? Well, in World War One, America used the dollar in order to fund much of the military expenditure for World War One, and it didn't happen on their land. And so therefore, America wasn't bombed and it became the big winner of World War One. And then in the, the, the Treaty of Versailles in, um, you know, uh, in 1919, um, sorry, 2019. What, yeah, yeah, no, 1919. 1919 uh, <laughs> that's how time is moving. Centuries <laughs> are disappearing now. 
um, in, in 1919, um, they took all of the debt of the losing countries and it had to be paid to America. Um, and then it moved back to the next phase of the gold standard because they had to pay in gold. So that gold was then stored at the Federal Reserve, which made more of a backing. And then they used that um, in order to build ginormous economic growth, which then took us into World War II. And during World War II, at the end of it, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 an economist called John Maynard Keynes tried to create a shitcoin called the Bancor. Um, and that was rejected in replacement because America had the gold at the Federal Reserve that they took because of the, the World War I redevelopment. Um, and we enter into a phase where um, they designed a system where the gold standard would be removed and everyone would back their central bank on the Federal Reserve and the dollar would be promised, promised to repay in gold. And so essentially the gold put itself as the, 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 the gold standard. Now read forward, move forward to 71. Um, Nixon says in order to um, prevent a speculative attack from the Bank of England, the last empire, um, that they would remove the gold standard and completely remove the convertibility of the dollar. So this was a really slow attack in order to, you know, uh, 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 take away gold supplies uh, from the world. Um, and then suddenly we enter into the fiat debt-based uh, Ponzi scheme. And then you fast forward to 2022, um, where the Federal Reserve just simply said, Russia, we don't like what you're doing. Um, all those dollars, delete it. Um, so now we suddenly see in real time that creates a supply shock that leads to excessive money printing from COVID. Um, and then we suddenly see these hyperinflationary cycles at the end of a debt cycle, the rise of a new empire called China, um, and based upon central bank digital currencies. Um, and then we have this incredibly interesting time in history where the dollar has proven you can't own it, you can't spend it, and it's not fixed in supply, and it's not backed by hard money anymore. Um, and the only thing that Russia is surviving, um, you know, take the politics out. I'm not judging who's doing the right things. I'm just following the money. Um, the fact that they own their own gold. Um, and so what will, after all of this geopolitical warfare, if it escalates in Taiwan um, and there's an alliance between Russia and China, China's probably going to buy all of um, Russia's gold in order to, you know, um, in, in order to sustain it. And it's backed by energy. Um, these geopolitical um, situations are really mirroring the crypto market. Um, you can think of it as central bank digital currencies, um, Bitcoin um, being digital hard sound money. Um, and then you've got you know, companies like FTX going over to El Salvador and saying, hey, why don't you just launch your own shitcoin? And um, so they're, they're showing them, you remember the days, I don't remember, you know, Aurora coin and all these um, saving countries yeah. based upon shit coins. It never works. It always ends incorrectly. Um, and so all of these trends are happening in real time. That brings me to, at the end of the day, the, the crux of the fiat system is it moves back to hard money gold. Um, and the crux of the crypto system is it moves back to digital hard money Bitcoin. Um, and we just go through these systemic cycles. Things implode. We repeat the same mistakes again. I, I, I'm not a maximalist or anything by any means. Uh, I love every coin. I'm a decentralization maximalist. But I walked out of a meeting the other day because I literally had to have a debate with someone over why Bitcoin 
even has value or why it exists. And he was trying to convince me that Ethereum is the future. And I was like, the fact that we even are having this argument is, is, is I don't know whose fault it is, but this argument never existed a couple of years ago. It was all harmonious and we're all one. And now there's this like maximalism whole thing. And unfortunately, I don't want to see it. Simon, does it end in war? Like 54% of millennials, they did a study last year, I'm reading here, uh, believe that World War III, you know, is in their lifetime. Like you said, China has the industrial capability to build a war machine. All they need is energy and and Russia has the energy and it does not have the capability. So you have an alliance right there. Could Europe and America stop that? Like, I, I hate to even talk about this and war game this because my listeners are from all these places. My friends are from all these places. We're all brothers and and lovers and, and family. Like it shouldn't, we shouldn't even be having these conversations. Where did borders come back? When did borders come back? Like back a few years ago, we weren't even having these conversations. We were podcasting about globalization. What happened? COVID happened and governments decided to use the emergencies to harness more power. And here we are today. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I, I, you know, it, um, I planned for many different outcomes. And one of the outcomes I definitely plan for is the possibility of a world war. Um, the reason for that is because I study history and history repeats. Um, when you enter the end of a debt cycle where you have excessive money printing and a removal from hard money, you end up with excessive printing on military um, and you end up with wealth inequality that drives divides between the, the haves and the haves nots. And when you have those divides, um, the financial pressure uh, drives people into behavior that makes them think, well, that was because this person was this color, or that was because this person was um, you know, this type of person. Um, and uh, you know, that is the privileged person um, that came from this. And those types of divides you, you see that leads to popularism. When you have popularism, you have the extreme left and the extreme right, and then people voting in people that come from the extreme left and the extreme right, which is very divisive, which just perpetuates the cycle. Um, and that only ends in excessive money printing um, that leads to geopolitical um, or revolutions or civil yeah. wars. Um, and, it, and it happens time and time again. The end of that um, is that you end up as a, you know, removing to a hard monetary system. So I believe in our lifetime, um, we will see, unfortunately, a, a big escalation. Um, and uh, fortunately, um, you know, this time we do, I do believe, and people think I'm deluded or crazy. And um, I do believe that Bitcoin plays an incredibly important role um, in the future of that. And, and you did, you know, way back in uh, 2010, Charlie. Um, Still you know, do. You were the one that was going on documentaries saying that this is the largest socioeconomic experiment the world has ever seen. Um, and advocating for things when everyone would have just thought you are absolutely crazy. Um, this is happening. Um, and th this is why I think it's so interesting doing a podcast with you, because you've seen all these, you've seen the consequences of all of these different things that we're discussing. Um, and you've been involved in them as a, as a pioneer from the beginning. And we're seeing it happen in real time. It's, it's just incredibly interesting. But people do need to protect themselves for different scenarios. I mean, what would you tell people to protect themselves? Having a diversified portfolio, obviously, is one of them. Uh, 
I personally like stay away from the stock market in general, all stock market, all stock markets. Although we see now that sometimes being a public company is a good thing. I'm not like a a big precious metals person. I'm 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 like a, a Bitcoin and real estate person now. Yeah. Okay. I mean, so my personal approach is um, I actually published it. So um, in 2011, I created a, I released a video on my YouTube channel, Simon Dixon, called "The Great Depression of the 2020s." Um, and, uh, then I start when I wrote the book, I was preparing people for the technical trends and it became the first published book to include Bitcoin that made a lot of people wealthy and then started investing in all the different companies through, um, bank to the future. Um, and then, uh, the, you know, and in, in 2000, um, I published a, a video series where I explained exactly and invested live, um, called retirementplanb.com. I'll summarize it now. Um, essentially, it's designed so that it's whatever happens approach. Um, I do believe that um, there may be, uh, you know, a continuation of the fiat currency Ponzi scheme using central bank digital currencies as the final cycle. And so therefore, I prepare for the fact that they could do that by having a traditional dollar portfolio. I also prepare for the dollar no longer being the reserve currency in a shift in empire, which is where gold comes in. Um, and I also prepare what I believe to be the future, which is where a Bitcoin approach comes in. Um, and um, that's why I was invested in this yield, uh, because I take a percentage of that Bitcoin and invest it in compounding um, and different effects just in case I'm wrong, even though I believe this is the future. Um, so that whatever happens and I just invest the same way every single month. And um, I encourage people to invest in being wrong is the way that you can oh, yeah. uh, when you're right. There's a quote I said a few years ago uh, that the best way to learn how to make money in crypto is to learn how to lose money in crypto first. And, and that's got to be the lesson in all of this. And, you know, if, if you are in a position right now where you've blown up all your wealth, um, I, I want to end on a on kind of like a, a, a final story. Um, that brings me back to um, what I was meant to be doing before all this happened, which is mourning the passing of my father. Um, he blew up his entire wealth. He was born in the Great Depression, um, survived World War II, where bombs are being flied around him, um, and went from rags to self-made millionaire um, and really was an inspiration for me. Um, he then blew it all up in the, in the dot-com boom and bust and ended up with nothing. Um, he asked me to figure out what happened to his money. Um, and that started my two-decade journey of um, going into monetary reform, trying to answer oh, wow. that question. Um, and uh, in that process of trying to create a bank, probably you've been in similar situations, Charlie, with your ventures. I went deep in debt, lost it all, was really, really dire in debt trying to, trying to get that. Um, and, and that drove me to Bitcoin. I found Bitcoin because of these events. And so... What I want to uh, share a message to people is that I really believe in experiential learning. Um, we could tell you, everyone will tell you, not your keys, not your coins, all these messages. Um, but you learn that by actually doing an experiential learning. So never blowing up your finances, blowing up your money is never a reason to give up. You just got to learn. You just got to adjust and you got to, and you become a better investor as a result. And one final thing. At the end of the day, my father and me, my, our journey was connected through this monetary story um, and this experiential thing. But when he was on his deathbed, you know, and I was uh, alongside him on his side, 
we weren't talking about money. We were just talking about love. And that's all that matters in the end of the day. So never allow any, any you blowing up money, never allow that to get in the way of what's actually important here. Um, and as a community, we hate each other. Uh, we love each other sometimes. We piss each other off. Um, but we are in a, a journey of, you know, creating an exit from the most entrenched financial interests in the world and providing financial freedom, not just for individuals, now for companies and for countries to be able to own their own money, spend their own money and have a fixed supply. It's really important work that we're all doing. And through all the fights and all the things, I just hope we can, um, you know, find that peace and experiential learning um, where we learn from each other and build something great at the end of it because the banks certainly want to buy up everything right now um, and the central banks certainly don't want us to succeed and there are entrenched interests and that brings us right back to those early days um charlie my favorite nostalgia days in bitcoin yeah. when it was us versus the banks and somehow we all turned on each other and it's great because it's a bit chaotic and you learn from each other and um all you know we should hold each other accountable but let's just make sure that we, we come out at the end of this with the change that we all set out to create in a better world. I would love to see like the original Bitcoin days kind of return in ways where we focused on culture, community and freeing people out of that like slavery. Really, it's financial slavery. It's info slavery, the death of the info slave. Uh I don't know where we lost that and got into this whole other world where we just talk about money all the time. Uh, and you're right. I want to kind of stress that point that you made that I know we, we do the show, we talk about money, we're all in crypto, we talk about money as much as we, even if we're doing NFTs and art, we're still talking about money. We're, we're scrolling Twitter and TikTok and everything where it's all the same thing. Oh man, that's just one of five spokes. We live a life where we need to live the the five spokes of life, like like financial, health, family, community, friendships, things like that. Your your health, you know, you're going to the gym, things like that. Your charity, all these things, those are also just as equal friendships. Like we should be focusing on friendships as just as much as we focus on money. So in these times, and I'm kind of talking to myself here, actually, and uh, go back, Charlie, and reassess your five spokes. Are you giving too much attention to one spoke and not enough uh, to others? And so that's the lesson for me. Hopefully that's some good lessons too. And thank you, Simon, for coming on the show today. Yeah, beautiful way to end, Charlie. You know, we remember what's important in life in these moments. And so... Um... You know, um, I really appreciate you um, and great to catch up. It's been too long.